Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. Last week, when we were a little over a week into the Bay Area's shelter-in-place mandate, my friend Anya Marchenko sent me a post from her blog that captured the way I'd been feeling about technology better than I could yet articulate myself. Anya and I met last fall at the Work It podcasting conference, where we were both finalists for a WNYC contest. She's an economist working on her own podcast, which will be out next year, and though I'm 40 and she's in her 20s, we quickly became friends. In her post, Anya said, Ever since returning to my parents' house in Naperville, I have been obsessively texting. I'm keeping near-constant contact with others, more uninhibited and cautioned to the wind with my use of social media than usual. When I'm not literally messaging or video chatting somebody, my chats are still open, notifications on, reminding me that I have a lifeline should I need it. I anticipate loneliness, so like someone loading up on vitamin C before actually getting sick, I grasp at the small hits of alerts-induced dopamine and squirrel them away into my human contact tank. But I think I've realized that I'm not filling up the right tank. By midday, the constant communication has caused a kind of creeping exhaustion. My brain feels frazzled and empty. My attention is constantly swatting flies. And yet I am unable to shake the surely irrational feeling that if I log off for two hours to really focus, I will miss messages from my friends, somehow endangering the closeness we've built at a time when closeness is the drug we all crave. Anya goes on to say, The ever-present push to get my thoughts out and the feeling that I have to compensate for the lack of real-life socializing by doubling down on social media which will somehow act as a preventative balm against deteriorating mental health brought on by the lack of real social interaction, create a perfect storm that keeps me glued to my computer. She ends her post with this. I once received a piece of advice from a mentor who urged me to be mindful to have experiences for their own sake, not for the expectation of recounting them to someone else. I agree. I don't want my life to be a constant search for someone to reflect my experiences through. And yet I seem to overwhelmingly fail at this task, especially now. I suppose there's no call to action here. I think that's just how it's going to be. I resonate with a lot of what Anya says here. In pre-COVID times, I was that annoying person who would go months at a time without checking my accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Part of that was just that I was raising three little kids and trying to work, and I just couldn't keep up with everything. I didn't sleep next to my phone, carry it in my pocket, or keep it at my desk while I worked. I think part of my reluctance with social media was that I didn't want to live my life online at the expense of the relationships right in front of me. Also, my husband works in advertising, and so he's always informing me of the pitfalls of technology, of how our devices were designed to make us addicts. I think the other part of my social media distancing was that after nearly 17 years of living in the Bay Area, the network of people I saw in person every week or even every day had gotten large. I had close friends in my neighborhood, my church, my kids' schools, and my writing community. I didn't have any leftover energy to pour into my online presence. But no more. Like Anya, the past couple of weeks I've been on social media more than ever before. 
Part of that is self-inflicted. It feels necessary to let people know that the daily podcast is up, which often leads to checking out what others have posted, which leads to scanning that article or video that looks interesting to, well, you know that rabbit hole. It's an easy one to fall into. There are also invitations to social media like never before. My husband's family has a weekly call with the entire extended family, which is spread all over the country and includes cousins, aunts and uncles, and all ages. My own family, which is in four locations, has a standing Zoom day every night. The Marco Polo chat I'm a part of with three of my neighborhood girlfriends has active videos almost every day. And then there are the work Zoom calls and that webinar I should really check out that would really help us all right now, and the daily posts from all the moms and dads who are chronicling their homeschool adventures on Instagram just to stay sane. These days, my feelings about social media have softened a lot. How could they not? Seeing the faces of my loved ones and hearing their voices has been wonderful. Most of those connections were ones that weren't happening that much before COVID-19. My husband and I are both generally lousy at keeping in touch. It's been nice to see our loved ones regularly. In the case of the Marco Polo group with my girlfriends, technology has actually made us closer. We saw a lot of each other before this, but it was almost always in the context of our kids hanging out, which meant that our conversations were pleasant but not deep. It's hard to get into anything real when your little people are constantly interrupting. Now our conversations are about finding meaning during this time, about learning from our ancestors. They're vulnerable in a way that I can't remember our in-person conversations ever being. These women were my friends before, but since Shelter in Place started, they've become my inner circle. I'm so grateful for all of these good things, but I'm not ready to toss my skepticism just yet. Because like Anya, there's a point in each day when the online connections start to feel disruptive, even a little gluttonous. It's not unusual for us to be on a Zoom call during dinner. My eight-year-old son, who is the most introverted of my children, confessed to us yesterday that he kind of hates Zoom calls. He's been on a few of them with other kids and finds them loud and chaotic. I know what he means. I feel that way sometimes, too. I don't want my online connections to just be constant noise, akin to the TV being on at all hours in the background. Before COVID-19, we had rules in our family about technology. No phones at the dinner table or in our bedrooms. Watching shows was reserved for special times, like Friday night family movies, or on an afternoon when mommy was losing her mind and needed a break. My husband and I made an effort to not look at screens in the hour or so before bed, which we'd noticed had improved our sleep. Maybe we need to find our way back to some of those boundaries. This technology-soaked moment in time has also raised a question I've had for a long time. Does all of this social media make us unrealistic about how connected we can actually be? I'm old enough to remember a world before the internet. My husband and I fell in love through handwritten letters, which we still have packed in a big box in our basement. When I was growing up, There was no expectation that I would keep in touch with friends who moved away or that I'd send messages to as many as a hundred people in a day. If someone called on the phone, I called them back because getting a phone call was special. Don't get me wrong. I love it that I can send a message to my friends in the Philippines or Australia in an instant, people who were part of my daily life more than a decade ago. But it does seem like having the social network spread so wide 
means that it's also spread thin. Kiana Summers wrote a great piece for the students at UNLV on using social media while social distancing, and she gave me permission to share it with you. She asked the question, can too much social media while social distancing take a toll on your mental and even physical health? I think for most of us, that's a rhetorical question. Kiana looks for answers from Natalie Pennington, a UNLV professor who researches the benefits and harms of social media. She says, Social media can be fantastic for connecting with your social network, but keep in mind that if you are feeling lonely or anxious, that those feelings can be perpetuated by logging online. Natalie says that in her interviews with people who have quit social media, mental health was a big reason that they stepped away. For those who aren't ready to quit, which is pretty much all of us now, research has shown that just passively reading social media is insufficient to feeling connected. So if you're logging on, post and comment to be a part of the conversation. Natalie said that more directed communication like calling, texting, or even emailing with someone you care about can do wonders for your overall health and well-being. So can reconnecting with someone you haven't talked to in a while and checking in on friends or loved ones who may be alone. People want to feel connected, and even just a text to say hello can go a long way. She also said that having a sense of humor helps, especially now. Things like singing songs to encourage proper hand-washing or posting images and stories of kids and pets as new co-workers. I did this myself this week when I updated my LinkedIn profile to say that I had reluctantly accepted a position as homeschool teacher and social distancer at the Davis household. Natalie said that there's a general need for people to find a bright side during these difficult times. If we can instill humor to break up the tension, it can help us get through the day-to-day. And she says, if you were just getting started with a new romantic relationship, don't give up on it. People have had success with online dating for over a decade, and the research shows that we can build relationships online that are just as strong as the ones that we form face-to-face. Finally, she said, get creative. Use Netflix Party to watch your favorite show or movie with friends. Go on a virtual date. Host virtual game nights using Steam, Twitch, or YouTube. Consider joining Reddit to connect with people who share your interests and hobbies. Think about how to take advantage of technology to maintain the things that you would have done anyway. Have a Google Hangout happy hour with your friends and say cheers from the safety of your own home. This advice feels to me like the right balance of engagement and skepticism, which is maybe what we always needed with technology, to be more thoughtful about using it than we thought we needed to be. Personally, I'd like this time to be marked by social media that provides meaningful, deep connections and also by being fully engaged with the people right in front of me. I'm trying to see this as an opportunity to redefine my boundaries. When it comes to being thoughtful about how we use technology, I often look to Sherry Turkle. She's been writing and teaching about this stuff for years, and she's generally regarded as the industry expert. She's a professor at MIT the founding director of the MIT Initiative on Technology and Self, and the author of so many books, most recently of Reclaiming Conversation, The Power of Talk in a Digital Age. I asked her if I could share with you something that she wrote in the fantastic Politico article I mentioned in episode six. I'd like to close this episode with her words. Sherry Turkle says, Perhaps we can use our time with our devices to rethink the kinds of community we can create through them. 
and the earliest days of our coronavirus social distancing, we have seen inspirational first examples. Cello master Yo-Yo Ma posts a daily live concert of a song that sustains him. Broadway diva Laura Benanti invites performers from high school musicals who are not going to put on those shows to send their performances to her. She'll be watching. Lin-Manuel Miranda joins the campaign and promises to watch as well. Entrepreneurs offer time to listen to pitches. Master yoga instructors teach free classes. This is a different life on the screen from disappearing into a video game or polishing one's avatar. This is breaking open a medium with human generosity and empathy. This is looking within and asking, what can I authentically offer? I have a life, a history. What do people need? If moving forward, we apply our most human instincts to our devices, that will have been a powerful COVID-19 legacy. Not only alone together, but together alone. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Shelter in Place, I would love it if you could rate it and review it wherever you listen, share it with a friend, and subscribe. Shelter in Place is sponsored by Brick and Mortar and Delta Wines. Even in these tough times, this family business has stepped up to be the first sponsor of Shelter in Place. When you order wine from brickandmortarwines.com or winesforchange.com, you can get 10% off your order by using the promo code SHELTER. If you order six or more bottles from Brick and Mortar, you'll also get free shipping and overnight shipping in California. The Shelter in Place music was composed by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions, and the Shelter in Place artwork was created by Sarah Edgel. As always, you can find links to the things I mentioned in each episode in my show notes at laurajoycedavis.com. Until tomorrow, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.